into the fantastical world of Keyforge, discussing lore, rules, strategies, decks, organized play, and of course, the Nordic Keyforge League. Join in the Song of the Wild and follow your treasure map to Wild Bounty of Ember. The early birds catch the dust pixies. This is the Nordic Keyforge Podcast. Welcome to myself and welcome to Hydro, who's joining me here today. Yes, it's just the two of us again, so I hope you aren't tired of hearing our voices yet. How are you, Hydro? I'm good. Probably I've been on a lot of episodes, so probably my my voice is getting tiring <laughs> to some listeners. But uh... Are you tired of hearing your own voice? That's the most important part, to not get tired of it at the podcast. Uh, no, not really. And I, I'm, I'm a singer, so, you know, I... I I I love hearing my own voice, and that's why I, I write everywhere and share my hot takes everywhere. So it's fine. Everyone just has to deal with my voice. That is why we're making this. You choose to listen. We only sit here and speak. That's the deal when you're creating a podcast. <laughs> yes. Speaking of listening to us, we are very happy to see that almost 200 people listened to the last episode, which is a massive increase from our earlier episodes. Uh, maybe it's the game dying. Maybe it's just us being brilliant. Who knows? Yeah, I think maybe people just want to hear that uh, things are going to be okay. Yeah, probably. Speaking about that, are things going to be okay? It's been two weeks since the big hiatus bomb dropped on uh, on Keyforge. How are, have you dealt with it? Have you lost any of the steam or the interest or are you dealing fine? It's actually been going just as before or better. Uh, two days ago, we had a live event in Stockholm. Eight people showed up, which is rare we get that many. So that was really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's been the same for me, actually. And I guess we can just go into our weeks in Keyforge since it's been two weeks since the last podcast. But uh, to be fair, the announcement and the news has sort of reinvigorated part of my interest in Keyforge because... I think that the lack of communication was the biggest reason my interest was dying. Uh, I was expecting like an announcement that yeah, we we are done with the game and we have, feel that we have done what we wanted to do and, and we are slowly going to release the last sets and then yeah, end the game. That that's what I was like fearing, and hearing that they're actually planning to take it into a new and, and like interesting direction and that they have plans for a digital client. That that made me want to play more. Yes, is it a year before the next set? Sure, but I feel that my interest in the game was partially reinvigorated. And I also started planning on how the hell I should get my hands on more displays now that they will be running out all over the world. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm mostly buying decks when I'm playing Sealed at Alpha Spiel. And I think they have had a really smart strategy because they are not lowering the price. Yeah. So eventually they will be the only ones with decks left, which is good for live play, actually, because you can always get something. But it's also good for them. They managed to sell all their stock at, at full price. Yeah, if you have the storage space, then then I definitely get that. Yeah, that's, what, that's their main advantage. I guess they have a lot of space. But apart from being like a bit reinvigorated in my interest. I've had a a very good Keyforge week. You will hear more about it in the League update, but uh, it's been really, really good. Uh, I've been hanging out with uh, Wick and Amrataka, planning for the next season a bit. Uh, I've been looking over my decks. I've been playing some games. I just now, an hour ago or so, while preparing my food, lost a Swindle leaderboard game. 
with a sus 60 category it was a fun game but i drew horribly other than that i've been playing my uh dt combo deck the three keys in one turn deck all week it's very inconsistent but i'm having a lot of fun with it try to figure it out the math when it goes off and when it doesn't nice yeah, how, how's your week weeks been so I've played some uh, some league games. I played against Gungnir, and uh, that was fun. Uh, I did well that match. And then the week after, I played against uh, uh, Sysox. And uh, I was expecting to lose uh, the match, but I came away with 2-1, and I really should have been 3-0. I made a really stupid mistake. I don't have to go into the mistake, but yeah. If I didn't make that really, really super dumb mistake, it would have been 3-0. So. That is amazing. Sysox is the most frequent winner in the Nordic Keyforge League and a really great player. So that's a, that's pretty impressive. And I also have a really horrible record against him, so it felt nice to be able to beat him, um, especially after I did badly at the start of the season. And then another thing I want to mention, I played... Randomly, I ran into Slow Aaron playing Sealed AOA on the Crucible online. And something happened in one of our games that has never happened to me before. And it was that I was on check for my third key. Slow Aaron plays uh, Binate Rupture to get into check himself. Helper Bot and Gold Key Imp. (laughs) So we are both a check and Gold Key Imp is on the table. Which means it's officially uh, a stalemate. I tried some ways to to get him down, but it was not possible. And no one of us had a, had a key cheat. Yeah, exactly. If none of you have a key cheat, then it's a stalemate because you can't kill it because then he forges and he can't kill it because then you forge. Yeah, when I first saw that card, I was really angry. Why would they design it like that? But then in this casual game, it was actually quite cool to see this happen. It was like a fun moment. Like, oh, this is so crazy, you know. I would have been really angry if it happened. Well, maybe not angry, but I would have been annoyed if it happened in a tournament. But for a casual game like this, it was pretty fun. And I guess uh, the design intent to some degree is to make a fun casual game sometimes. Well, you could also get cards to take the other person down from their check. Yeah. Like in decks with a lot of steel and so on, it isn't as much of a stalemate. Yeah. But maybe your decks didn't have the the capacity to <laughs> to permanently reduce each other from from that check. So I had, I had my plan was to make a huge Sanctum board and a huge Logos board and then uh, uh, helper bot into uh, take hostages and use the Sanctum card that allows me to use Sanctum creatures to fight and get him down to below six. But then it turned out he had a board wipe. So <laughs> uh, that's that fun story from the Crucible Online. Yeah. Yeah, I had a... Two league games. I played against uh, Kandika and I played against Sysox. I won against Sysox with uh, an amazing book of LeQ or IAQ, depending on how you want to see it. Uh, it turns out that book of LeQ or IAQ is very, very good in a deck that doesn't have Star Alliance. Now, you cannot get that card as uh, Maverick. Uh, it doesn't seem to exist in the algorithm, but you can get it with a Snacklifter, and it was a very, very costly mistake on his part to play that card. Yeah, that was a nice gift. Yeah, so every Shadow's turn, I played my Shadow's cards, and then I, if I was really unlucky, I got to play more Shadow's. But like, then it was nothing happened. It was just a regular turn, and if I got 
two two out of three lucky, then uh, I played a whole new house. <laughs> no risk, only reward, which is the best kind of keyboard card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. It's been good weeks. It's been very, very good weeks. Um, my story is continuing. You'll hear a little bit more about that in, in the league update, though, like I said. But it's uh, I'm still undefeated in this uh, diamond uh, season. So it's pretty cool. I'm happy. I'm very happy. And I'm also excited to be here on the podcast and to be talking about our main topic that is coming up. Me and Hydro are going to talk about play styles and player styles in some way. And you might have heard the old like Magic the Gathering player types, which is a different thing. The player types of, uh, what is it, Spike and... Uh, something. It's been too long since I play Magic. But they are about like why you play the game. But the player types are why you play the game, you could say. What kind of Keyforge decks you would play. And there have been attempts at creating them for Keyforge. And if they determine what kind of decks you enjoy playing, play style is what you do with those decks and how you use your Keyforge decks when you go into a Keyforge match. And that is what we'll be talking about. Uh, would you say that you have a distinct play style, Hydro? How would you describe it before I go into the analysis? So for me, I think in this game, unless you buy secondhand a lot, a lot of your play style will be influenced a bit by the type of deck you get because uh, the decks will lend themselves to certain play styles. Uh, so I have traditionally got a lot of decks with quite large boards and that are quite slow and uh, i and i come back from uh, from a 2 0 or 2 1 deficit and i come back stop the game stop my opponent until i can grind out a 3 2 win uh, so so in that way my my playstyle is a bit controlling i would say but if you if you could choose decks that are controlling or decks that lend themselves to a different kind of playstyle what would you choose so actually, I have now in the secondary market been looking for more rush style decks, uh, mostly because I want uh, I want to diversify myself as a player, uh, and I'm still not quite used to playing them. I think I still sometimes play them a bit too much in a controlled way. Yeah, because this is important. Like there are deck archetypes, which is also another topic. But if the deck archetypes are, say, for example, rush, there's the crush archetype. There's uh, control. There is like a good stuff mid range. The play style is how you modify that. So a, some decks can be played as a rush. Some decks and the same deck could be played as perhaps more grindy and so on. And I have uh, may made a couple of notes. What I think are the like the primary differences between play styles. So maybe we can match ourselves to these uh, to these notes. Yes. So. Primarily, I think that the choices in a in a Keyforge game are there are of course lots and lots of small choices, but some of the main choices that a player make where you can be different from each other is things such as do you primarily focus on your own deck, your own hand and how to optimize that, or do you try to predict what the opponent is going to do and what the cards they might have? Do you prefer to always go to check, even if it means leaving the opponent on perhaps a better position 
uh, for the next turn? Or would you rather stop at five if you can improve your position? And of course, all of these things are relative depending on how the game state looks, but we still have preferences. Uh, do you discard uh, you, your useless cards because you don't want to sit and chain yourself? Or do you want to wait for that magical moment when all the cards come together, even with the risk of, of holding on to them for too long? Do you prefer to play the board and you want to try to build big board states that you can use in interesting ways? Or are you more of the Call of the Archons kind of player who likes playing cards from hand and just moving on to the next hand? And these are some of the basic things that, that determine. So even if, say that we have the same deck, these are the things that make us change and then makes, a, makes it so that not every game and every deck would be the same in the hands of different players. So what do, what do you prefer in some of these uh, instances? Um, so uh, regarding playing my own game versus predicting my opponent, mm-hmm. I like predicting my opponent, but uh, it takes a lot of energy to do. So sometimes I come after work and I'm tired and I can't really do it. Uh, so it doesn't come naturally to me, uh, but it's something I, I have been trying to do. Uh, but probably I'm since it's not coming natural to me. I guess I'm. I guess I should say I'm more actually on the other side of trying to play my own game plan. Yeah, we can go through them like one by one the different points because I am definitely trying to predict kind of player. Not when I'm just playing on casually on TCO, but I always try to think about like what will the other person do? What can they do? What cards do they have left in the deck? What cards have they already played? Uh, I don't sit there like analyzing deeply, but I try to. I'm like a card counter. I try to <laughs> count what house are they most likely to play, depending on how many cards are in the discard and and so on. So I definitely don't always spend so much time looking at my own hand, and that's sometimes a very big negative because sometimes I have predicted their turn like perfectly, and then I play my own cards in the wrong order <laughs> mm. or on the wrong flank or. <laughs> Things like that, which has been like my downfall several times. I'm just like, ah, now I know what they will do. I'm just going to play these four cards. Sometimes it can be like uh, you are, you think they probably have this card, which is really bad for me right now. So I'm going to play around it. And then it's not, they don't draw it until the last card in the deck or something. And then you have slowed yourself down for no reason. Yeah, that's also actually a pretty good point. Like, are you a risk taker? Are you a gambler? Or are you a playing it safe kind of person? Do you prefer playing around their cards or do you just go for it and hope to high roll? Hmm. What would you say? Like if you know that your plan could be ruined by say a 50% chance that they have a card. Uh, in that situation. So for example, I I always play the wild war mode, for example. Uh, so in that way, I'm a risk taker. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But in some other ways, I'm I'm very I'm too risk averse. Like uh, I will keep a mediocre starting hand because I don't want a bad starting hand. Uh, for example, which is mm-hmm. something I want to improve myself because I think it's actually holding me back. But it's just something I guess uh, you know the 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 memory is biased sometimes towards negative experiences. So I've had a lot of experiences where I where I mulligan an okay hand and get something really bad. So then that makes me afraid of doing do taking a mulligan in the future. Yeah, then your brain tells you that mulliganing is bad and you should just keep the the hand. Yeah. And I, I guess that's one of the reasons why I don't like high roll decks. Like almost all of my decks are late game focused decks that are the ones I enjoy playing. I really dislike decks that are 
where the game is decided on the mulligan. It's one of my worst experiences is the games that would just auto win if you draw the right cards and they will lose terribly if they draw the wrong cards. And this is a bit of a like a strategy tips for those who are playing against me in the league, but I will generally ban decks that uh, are high roll decks because I will want to grind it out and get my like sure wins by counting cards, by analyzing stuff. And it would feel terrible and probably tilt me if I didn't ban the deck that could just flip a coin and win against any of my decks if they get lucky. So even if they might not be the best ones, I prefer to to trust my own instincts and my own analysis rather than trust any kind of luck. Even if it's a one in three that they high roll, I still don't want to face it. What about you? What what kind of decks do you usually ban away? Is it negative play experience decks or? Uh, I think I'm more geared towards banning negative play experience decks, which to me is not really a racing deck or a high roll deck because I feel like I can often handle them uh, or sometimes I can at least. I, I really ban uh, heavy turn control decks because, like, if if they have if they have a gateway, uh, uh, three fates and two control the week or something like that, that just makes me so annoyed to play against that. <laughs> I don't mind playing against that at all. I usually end up playing against all these triple control the week decks and so on. Yeah, no, I, I for me. Maybe I ban them more than I should. Uh, I've lately I have been trying to work against that uh, urge to more like see if they have this kind of stuff. They're only really dangerous if they also have a lot of amber gain, in my opinion. Because if they don't have so much amber gain, exactly, that's how I think as well. And they need the amber gain in the this house, or they need it with like phase shift or ways to recur the, the control the week over multiple turns. If it's just a controlly this house, I'm generally not scared of it, even with three control the week. Yeah. Then they can sit there and control the week me three times in a row, and they will get one ember each round. <laughs> and I've also been uh, uh, shifting towards um, playing decks that are less vulnerable to gateway control the week. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I am changing my lineups a bit in that direction. And that means I should change my banning strategy. And <laughs> there is some... Uh, some uh... some lag behind in yes. your ban strategy yes. still. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> ah, that, that's very interesting. You definitely banned the most controlly deck that I had, but it's also probably my best deck. So No, wait, you didn't. You played against my most controlly deck. Yeah, <laughs> well, uh, that was also out of curiosity. I wanted to see how it played. <laughs> but you know, I had made the Forge cast and seen that I had a, yeah. I had a worse chance against that deck than your other really good deck. But uh, and then I said, "Ah, oh, what, what the hell? I want to see see how it works." <laughs> and I, I I left it, which was the wrong decision because <laughs> it beats one of my better decks. So yeah, sorry, we won't go in too much on that. But it was a it's a terrible deck to face. It's definitely a negative play experience for a lot of people, but fun for me. So, uh, if so far we've gone through, like, do you focus on your own game or do you try to predict your opponent? And also, do you prefer to take risks or are you a, a playing it safe kind of person? But when it comes to forcing your opponent to act or acting on your opponent, say, between reactive and proactive keywords play, what do you prefer? Do you like having the answers in your archive and, and knowing that they walk into your trap? Or are you the kind of person who will force them to make bad decisions? What do you prefer? 
So I like to be a bit more proactive, but also in a way that allows me to save answers. Like I play a lot of logos and that kind of stuff. So I can, I can put a creature onto the board that says, if you let this creature live, I will build up a huge archive of, of answers or whatever. But I would say it's mainly a proactive way because at least against good players, which we have in the in the diamond division, they know that such creatures probably need to die very quick. Against uh, weaker players, they may leave them uh, alive. But against good players, it's more like, yeah, I'm putting this out. You better deal with this. You better use your tools to deal with it. Or So it's, it's sort of a bit like bait or just forcing them to have the answer at that time. Mm-hmm. I have sort of drifted, actually. Uh, for a while, I really, really enjoyed reactive decks. But lately, I've been more enjoying like a proactive play style. Because sometimes when I, was, when I tried to play reactively, I often let them take too much time and gather their answers. And, and we both were sitting there, and they were suddenly forcing me to react, but with all their cards, like all their options in hand while I had been holding on to a certain card or I had been waiting for something and so on, which meant that I had fewer options, but we were in the same position. So I've started to appreciate forcing them to deal with something. That's something I have noticed when I have played reactive players. It doesn't always work out, but sometimes you can read them and see they are sitting on this card. And when you notice they are drawing less, then like you say, I can start saving my cards as well. It's something I, I have noticed also. Yeah. So, but from the other perspective, maybe. Exactly. It's the it's the point where you can notice, oh, wait, they are not pushing here. Mm. They're not pushing for Ember. That means I can take it easy. I can start focusing on drawing and shaping my hand instead of of uh, stopping them or uh, and so on. And I think it's a, it's a, it's an underappreciated like uh, skill to know when you can slow down your own play and not lose from it. Like just thinking that they are sitting and shading themselves. So I don't. I shouldn't go up to seven ember. I shouldn't go to check now. I should get the cards I need for when they play those, like the big steel or the the board wipe, and the things like that. So instead of playing a creatures and forcing out the board wipe, you could just get another hand of creatures instead. So you're ready for the board wipe. So yeah, I think that that a proactive playstyle is in many ways can exploit the, the reactive players a bit if you know that they are doing that. Mm. And I remember being beaten by that. Was it? Yeah, it was by you in the... In the cup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Specifically by, by using the fact that you know that I won't liked sitting and waiting in for my big drops. Uh, not this season's cup, because this season's cup, you completely crushed me, but uh, a few seasons ago. <laughs> yeah, that was quite a few seasons ago. I, I play differently now. <laughs> hmm. Oh, yeah, we forgot to say that in the, the week update, but my cup deck was <laughs> really fun. Well, <laughs> you, yeah, for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's move on. Oh, no, I wanted to bring one thing up about this proactive versus reactive play. Yes. Uh, a topic that always comes back on the Nordic server is a card like Infernus, which is sort of inherently reactive. Yeah. And I've been saying it's not as overpowered as people think it is because the fact that it's reactive makes it weaker. It doesn't always beat a Dust Pixie because a Dust Pixie, I can play the Dust Pixie and then shuffle it back or I can play the Dust Pixie and then key charge or whatever 
So the inf- I can always play my Dust Pixie, but the Infernus player needs to play the Infernus while my Dust Pixie is in my discard pile and while I have Amber. And it makes them predictable as well. You know that now they have to choose by playing the Infernus or playing perhaps a better turn in yeah. some other house. Yeah. That's one of my, the reasons why I think that Infernuses are much worse as Ember control than they are as a proactive play to prevent the, the opponent from doing what they should. Like, for example, in Helena, where I purge people's board wipes so that they cannot stop me from doing my game plan instead of purging Ember to prevent you from forging a single key when we're not at that third and final key yet. Yeah, I tend to also use my, my Infernuses to purge, preferably board control cards with Ember, so I get a little bit of both. But Yeah. Yeah, of course, like if you can get an ember, it's always great. But I definitely like removing someone's board tools makes a much bigger swing in who controls the game than removing just an ember pip of some kind. Because suddenly you make the call of whether you want to clear the board or not. You make the call well, like uh, on what creatures should fight or what creatures remain and so on. It's a, It's a very powerful tool. Yeah, when I played against Leon, I definitely <laughs> saw all my tools disappearing, and uh, <laughs> in the end, I was completely helpless. <laughs> Maybe we should actually put a link to Helena in this uh, episode, since we've already talked about that specific, very special deck a couple of times now. Yeah. Um, so people don't feel so lost when we keep coming back to it. But it is a very interesting deck from playstyle perspective because it plays completely different Keyforge from everyone else. And I love it. Uh, so take a look at it when you when you get the chance, if you want to see a deck that prefers to stay on zero Ember and zero keys for 10 turns and avoids playing Ember pips. Yeah. And that brings us actually onto the next uh, like playstyle thing. If you are in a position where you can push for check or you can play for the long game, it, it ties a bit into it. I, mean, I know some people have said like the golden rule of Keyforge is always push to check. ABC is what they termed, what what they coined in, I think it was Bouncing Death Quark, always be checking, ABC. Yeah, and and uh, what do you think about that? Is it still true in Keyforge? Should you always be checking? So I am actually not really in that playstyle myself. Uh, for the third key, yeah, probably ABC. Uh, it makes sense because then you've, you're basically saying, I'm checking now. If you can't deal with it, I win. So then it makes sense, at least sometimes. But I think for for the first and second key, I quite often, depending on what is in my opponent's deck, of course, and so on, but I often prefer, if they don't have a lot of board control, I may prefer playing out creatures to build up a bigger board delta or or something like that, even if it doesn't get me to check or handcrafting my hand for for bigger turns in the future. So I yeah, I don't really follow the the ABC that much for for at the start and the middle of the game. It's something I mostly save for the end game. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm definitely the same. I one of my lessons to people when I've tried to teach like keyforge from my perspective is don't be afraid of giving away a key or two. Like unless you are playing a deck that can like key cheat the last one very easily or something like that you should be playing to win the third key, not to stop the first and second. Right. So so that also, so now I answered the question about threatening my own keys, but I agree with that for stopping my opponent's first keys as well. The only key that really matters is key three. 
Yes, and uh, so I prefer not to no, not to push for check either. I uh, if I can choose between a great or better board position at five, or of course there's always like ifs and buts. Like if they have great steel, then I can like force it out or something like that. That's one thing. But generally in a game, I will always choose position over checking because my decks, my play style is to win in the late game. My deck play style is to win three two <laughs> at the end. <laughs> Very rarely three to zero. Checking is a bonus, not a requirement. Uh, and I think people can see that very, very clearly, which is why I really like cards like Bone Iving or cards that, that are about that last, that are at their best in the end. I dislike cards that are rushy. I like cards that are swingy in the end. <laughs> but, but yeah, I will be, I'm spoiling my future lineups here, but I'm going to go a bit more in the rush direction in the future. Oh, I'm happy. I'm happy to hear that. I think I've gotten decks that are better and better at handling it. So, uh, when it comes to playstyle as well, do you like this? Is more of a not so much of a preference as there's probably a better way to do it and a worse way to do it, but we still have different styles. Would you say that you're like a quick, aggressive player, or uh, would you are you like a slow thinker? Because some people definitely prefer to just be very, very quick in their turns, always make sure to yeah, essentially give the opponent very little time to think, but also like just get the games over and, and done with. And some people think for a long, long time and even goes to time in tournaments, which you can get to your loss. So how do you prefer to do it? Would you rather risk time or would you rather risk uh, mistakes? <laughs> in live play, I really hate going to time. So I try to play my turns relatively quickly. Uh, also because I'm I am. I feel like I'm more paranoid about not shuffling my deck properly or something like that. So I need to have some time for shuffling if I have effects like <laughs> lost in the woods and so on. So I, so I, I, yeah, I tend in live play. I tend to play a bit quicker. Uh, in online play, if I need to think, uh, turn through for four minutes, I will do it. So yeah, it's, it differs for me between different. Uh, ways of playing the game yeah i uh, i i am often too slow i've had to improve that a lot and my biggest lesson of that came in uh kfpl qualifier i think it was where i played an italian player uh with a nickname leo lindsey i think it was leo lindsey he's very good i think i played against him yeah I've, I've played against him many times but it was in a game with helena once more and it was clearly going to time. He would win because I had been playing way too slowly the first turns and thought way too much. And if he had just played his turns a, a little bit slower, he would win. But we both realized that I had reached the state where my deck would inevitably win. There was no way anymore for his deck to win, but we were running out of time. And he actually started playing his turns really, really quickly so that I had time to reap just several times and, and uh, actually get the third key. And I was like so impressed by that honorable yeah. play because we both knew there was no way that he could win in the actual game. Yeah, that's sportsmanship. I, I love hearing that. Yeah, so it's a big shout out. Uh, I hope it was Leo Lindsay, so I shout out to the right person. If not, <laughs> to whoever did that, a, a big props to you. And it made me want to learn how to play the deck faster in the future as well to avoid that situation but it was like really really honorable 
yeah, if if your best deck is Helena, I guess you have to learn how to play it more quickly because you will yeah. not always face an honorable opponent in that way. Exactly. There like... are players who archive uh, a card that captures all your opponent's amber just so they can play it the turn the turn before time just to win on tiebreakers. Ah, uh, that's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the very opposite of of honorable. But that 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 happens quite often. I mean, maybe not only. Maybe that's not the only reason they archive those cards. Those cards are good to have. Of course, of course. But but people definitely sometimes play in that way. Okay, so on to the next one. We have a couple more things when it comes to playstyle. Do you prefer to play a better turn now? Or do you prefer to hand shape for a better turn? Like Say that you have like one card that you can play now. And it's a decent play. And it will mean that you have a much better play potentially next turn a bigger hand or do you want to play those three cards now and risk drawing into a much like less optimal turn on the next one um so uh, before i used to play the three cards all the time more lately where everyone is playing lots of board control i have been uh, going more towards using using my creatures on the board while i have them and playing just one or two cards from hand uh to to make sure I get some value out of them before they are gone, so uh, I think I have been moving more in that direction. Or, or if I, and definitely, or if, even if if even if they wipe my board and I only have I don't know I played three cards in shadows on my first turn and on my second turn they wiped they wiped the board and I have two shadows cards and three star alliance card i might play the two shadows cards just to get them out so i can so i don't have to draw more shadows for a while and can draw the other mm-hmm. two houses more yeah uh, so yeah that's something i have been uh changing how i play quite lately because i i was quite bad at that before i think i've started thinking more about how to better shape your hand for future for future turns i started noting that I thought my opponent was lack- lucky all the time, and that I was unlucky. <laughs> and uh, that's usually the sign of handshaping, yeah. Yeah, you can't really you you can't. Well, after it happens enough times, you have to realize that no, I'm, I'm blaming luck, where there's something else going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I started handling that a bit better in that way. Yeah, I, I'm. I've also like I, I did handshaping very early on in the game because it was one of the first things I I recognized as important, but. I, I'm always saying like, hey, wouldn't it like? Can't you almost get the same effect by playing that one card instead of playing those three cards? Then play the one card for a better turn next. Like if they're even remotely equal, I always play like the fewer cards if if uh, the odds are to draw a better hand. Uh, of course, if those three cards I have were the three last cards of that house or something similar, then they will always be the the best ones to to play. So you get better turns, but oh, like yeah, hand shaping, the art of predicting what cards you will draw, and making sure to play the houses that are not those cards, mm. uh, is is one of the most important skills to learn, I think, in Keyforge. Uh, it changes your game from a frustrating game where you constantly have two, two, two in your hand, two of each house, and it feels like your opponent draws lucky four cards all the time into a game where you can plan to be lucky. Uh, so maybe it's not so much playstyle as a skill, actually. Like, there is a better way to do it than you. Normally, it is handshaping. Some people do like pressuring and, and so on. But uh, 
do think an extra time whether that one card that gives you a better next hand isn't a better choice than the than the three. Uh, I w- I would say also here there is maybe a difference between online play and and live play because online I abuse the function of seeing what cards I have left to draw in my deck. Uh, I admit to that. I don't just look at my discard pile. Yep. And in live play, my memory is not super good, so I can't keep track of it as well. Don't you look at the, your discard pile? I look at the play? discard pile, yes, but when I'm trying to keep the game moving, oh yeah, I don't want to spend, I don't know how long, however long it takes to count every card in every house. Uh, so I have to go a bit more from my memory, which is not super good. Yeah, I get that. My short-term memory, especially. In live play, I usually sit and look at my discard pile while the other person is thinking. Yeah, that makes sense. Just to know the, roughly the distribution of cards, so I have like, I look, <laughs> I tell them that I will look at the discard pile, and I will obviously very clearly like show that I'm not moving the cards in any weird direction, but just to see like how many of each thing do I have there. Yeah, but I think this is something that's maybe easier to do online. Oh yeah, it's much much easier to do online. You can just click on a button, and you suddenly see exactly what card you have left. Not everyone knows this, but you can always click on your deck in TCO and actually see the cards you have left instead of having to count the cards uh, from your list. So you can see exactly what the, the odds are to draw something. And I think it makes sense that they have that function because online, where you're not, you don't have the same social experience. It's sort of a, a waste of time to wait for the other player to count the cards. Exactly. So, so I think it's better actually that they do show that so that you can save both players some time in that way. But yeah, so with some of these basic like ideas about how to play the game out of the way, can we can we identify any like uh, archetypical play styles uh, from this? Can we create some some descriptive words uh, for it? Are there only two? Are there three? Are there what are the play styles of of Keyforge? So you know, in behavioral science, they like to try to describe uh, characters along certain axes. Uh, and some of them are supported by science and some of them are not. But I'm thinking maybe you can do something like that with this, like you identify, uh, you try to boil all these things we have talked about into three or four factors, and then uh, you can sort of place yourself on like on, on the where you are in the dimensions between the extremes on these factors, and that would be enough to sort of make, I don't know, uh, nine or 16 or how, however many categories. That would be super exciting. Maybe you, you should do that for our, in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should we create our, our quiz? What kind of play? <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah, that could be could be fun. But then I really want them to be, so I, I didn't look up the names of these systems, but there is this one you see everywhere online, which is four letters. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. What's it called? Myers-Briggs? I think it's probably that one, which is based on no, no science at all. Exactly, the 16 personalities. Yeah. And then there are some ones that are based on science where, <laughs> funnily enough, I think one of the factors is how neurotic you are. It's another mem- In that model, one of, the, one of the four or five cat- characteristics is how neurotic you are, which is <laughs> a super funny, uh, super funny way to think about people. But... That one actually is supported by some science, so I would rather want to be that model than the Meyer Briggs one. 
Well, let's uh, let's put it like this then. That uh, maybe for next time we will have a brand new playstyle categorizing system, or maybe we won't. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but it would be if, if I have I don't know maybe uh, if I have some time off at some point or something, I can think about that. Yeah, uh, but I just do think that we are approaching the end of our little discussion about the playstyle. Do you have anything uh, you want to conclude? Maybe I would say. Try thinking about these factors and the, where you are on them and where you would want to be. If there is a discrepancy, what can you do to move yourself towards where you want to be? Yeah, uh, that's a good point. I, I think that the discussion is perhaps more useful rather than categorizing. It's very useful to decide, like, what do I want to do and how can I do that at the best of my keyforge ability? and learn to push it more. Like if, if you commit to something, learn how far you can commit to that and really be that person who perhaps pressures their opponent at all times or, or something similar. But with that said, we are going over to the NKFL league update. Hydro will be updating on the three higher divisions and I will take the three lower ones. So what's happening in the Nordic Keyford League? Okay, so we're starting with the diamond division. And here, uh, three people have a chance to win. Uh, at the top, we have Sysox, who has 15 wins and six losses. But his last game was a walkover, so he already has his last match banked. Um, behind him, we have Zaramis at 14 wins and four losses. And what this means is that if Zaramis manages 2-1 in his uh, final game he will win the league if he goes one to two he will not win because he has a worse key difference than Sysox. so uh, the third one with the chance of winning is Stoffson. he has 12 wins and six losses if he manages 3-0 against Zaramis uh, which is not easy but possible he would share a record of 15-6 with Sysox, and then if his difference is good enough he has a chance to win the league. But that's a long shot. So probably it will be Sysox or Saramis. But there is also a chance for Stoffson. Uh, finally, for relegation, it's already decided that Jay Kandika will be relegated to, uh, to the Platinum Division. Uh, we move on to the Platinum Division. In the lead there, we have Algernon with 12 wins, 6 losses. Uh, but also Amritaka at the same record, 12 wins, 6 losses, and followed closely behind by TV Shop at 11 wins, 7 losses. And then Caspian DK and Irrelevant ID at 10 wins each. So uh, it's quite tight here. And I think I heard on, on the Discord server that Algernon won his final game. So Algernon is clear for for being promoted to Diamond, even though it's not in the document yet. And then it's it will be decided between Amritaka, TV Shop, Caspian DK, and Irrelevant ID. Oh, Amritaka won this game as well. Okay, so that means basically that it's decided Algernon or and Amritaka are promoted to Diamond League. And uh, Kalk Monstret is relegated. And then it's between Jolly Falun and Wick, with uh, uh, Wick being uh, the favorite to stay in the Platinum Division. Uh, 
for the gold division, we have in the lead Codwag with a record of 14 against 4. Um, he is playing against the third place uh, player, JPVG, at 11 against 7. Uh, so depending on how that goes, uh, that determines if he pro- if he progresses. But probably it's very likely that Codwag progresses because he has his 14, the second player is at 12, and the third player is at 11. So, so he has a good chance. Uh, but then second place and third place are Banon, Permobile, and GPVG. So they are likely fighting for that coveted second promotion spot. Um, and then in the bottom, we have Karesh already clear for relegation to silver. And uh, second to last and third to last are Powtrick and WHZ12, respectively, uh, with WHZ12 ahead two wins going into the final round. So he is a favorite to stay in the gold division. And I will actually also continue on with the silver division, which is already decided that for promotion we have Slow Aron and Yusavo, both with 13 wins and five losses so far. And no one else can catch up because the third and fourth place players are at 9-9, each of them. Um, so Slow Aron and Yusavo will be uh, continuing to to the gold division. Slow Aron has done really well considering he has a lineup of six Age of Ascension decks and not even one of them has uh, the Martian Generosity combo with the key abduction, which is the one that everyone wants from that set. So it's really impressive to see him do so well with this lineup. For relegation, uh, it's I think it's actually a four-way battle uh, between Jonte King, Mitte, Tuben, and Martian Dog, in order from most likely to stay to least likely to stay in silver. Um, Jonte King at 8 to 10, Mitte and Tuben at 7 to 11, and Martian Dog at 6 to 12. Um, so, depending on how their final week game goes, that determines who stays in the bronze division, sorry, in the silver division. Uh, for bronze A, where happily we can say that all of them have said they want to participate in next season, which is nice to see new players wanting to continue in the league. Um, we have at the top Hofnum and Octodog uh, at 15 versus 3 and 14 versus 4. Um, and behind them, so Hafnium is more or less clear for promotion, while Octodog has behind him Equi and Sander Seb at 12 wins. So if Octodog loses all three games in his final round, while both Equi and Sander Seb win their final game, they can overtake him. Uh, but to sum up, Hafnium is clear for promotion and then Favorite for the second spot is Octodog, but there's also a possibility for Equi and Sanderseb. Uh, in Bronze B, we have uh, six out of seven players staying for next season as well. So that's nice to see. And we have in the lead 
PAQ with 15 wins and three losses. And uh, in second place, we have Tor Valpo, who uh, had a bye for the final round. So he has three games more played uh, and then is in second place with 14 wins against three losses. So PAQ and Tor Valpo are favorites to advance, but Dick Rowland, if he wins his game against Beijing with 3-0, he can overtake Torvalpo. So it's uh, basically that game for that match for Dick Rowland will be very important. He also has a better key difference actually than Torvalpo. So two to one is enough for Dick Rowland to advance. So as long as Dick Rowland manages two one, he will claim one of the two top spots. And PAQ more or less decided already. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, due to some connection issues or audio issues, uh, Zaramis had to bow out for uh, the league update and uh, sign off. But I hope you enjoyed this episode and this discussion about player styles. I hope you can start thinking about how you play and how you want to play in the future. Uh, and I'm hoping. Uh, you are as excited as us to keep playing this wonderful game uh, even now with the hiatus from FFG for for a new set for a year. Um, so thank you everyone for listening and see you in two weeks.